first known rules of golf were drawn up in 1744 by the gentleman golfers of Edinburgh in Leith, Scotland. Since then, the game has changed dramatically. Golf courses, equipment, and not least the rules. So where do I go when I want to learn about the rules of the game today? Well, I go to the Golf Rules Questions podcast with Blakey and Roscoe, of course. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Golf Rules Questions podcast. Welcome everyone to the episode 73, the Golf Rules Questions podcast, the number one podcast for rules of golf, uh, probably because it's the only one. Uh, Stuart, welcome along, co-host of the Golf Rules Questions podcast. How are you? Thanks, Blakey. I'm very well. And I should add to that, that uh, in the last week, I have uh, caught up with a state referee and a national referee, both who told me they listened to this podcast. And only a few weeks ago, I had a member from my own club whom I've never met email me a rules question going, oh, by the way, I'm a member of uh, the same club as me. And I listen to you and Blakey and blah, blah, blah. And okay, well, people do listen to this. And if it is the only one, then so be it. But it's a good one. I appreciate that. Uh, what club are you at, Stuart? Gardener's Run. Gardener's Run. And yes. uh, you've got a photo of that in your background. I do, correct. And of course, I play quite often with the captain, Ray Seddon, a mutual friend. Um, so, yeah, if you are listening to this on Spotify, uh, you probably won't see that photo. But if you are watching us on YouTube, uh, you'll definitely see it. And I've got a photo um, of the club that I'm currently. Ah, yes, it is. A golf operations manager currently. Uh, golf operations manager, Spring Valley, uh, which is in the sand belt. Yeah, we've been seeing the Australian Open. Uh, this week with Kingston Heath and Victoria looking in unbelievable uh, condition. Uh, well, I can tell you Spring Valley is in amazing condition right now as well. We actually hosted the Monday qualifier for one of the one of the uh, courses to host the Monday qualifier um, last Monday for the Australian Open. Just just the guys went and played there, and the best score was four under getting through. So. Um, it was uh, in fantastic condition. And uh, I should say, of course, I was a referee for that, and I have a story from that that I'd like to raise with you on a rules side of thing. Um, the second best score was minus two for three guys, and we actually did a two-hole playoff to sort out who was that last person uh, to get a spot at the Australian Open. But totally agree, having just walked the fairways of Kingston, Heath and Victoria the last few days, I've, I've just incredible, as you word you like to use mint it was just incredible condition but spring valley was no less than those so far yeah. as condition mm. yes uh that's an interesting one that um four under got in uh, there were two people to go through from the 80 or so who initially play or signed up for that monday qualifying two under was the next best score with three players on two under and they had to have a, th- a one hole playoff almost or as you know a stroke play playoff yeah just a knockout yeah to find out who was going to be the one person from that two under to get through and someone made a par on the 18th first time round, and they got straight through but then the two players who didn't make it straight through this would have to be one of the worst playoff 
situations in history, and it, it happens every, uh, a lot. It's not the first time it's happened. It happens nearly every week, actually. Um, you play off for the alternate spots. So if, and it's only for if one of the six, uh, yeah, one of the six who got through on the Monday qualifying, if one of them pull out, you know, illness, um, emergency, a medical type thing, uh, if one of them pull out, then the alternate, uh, alternate number one goes through and we, we made it up to alternate four. So, um, it's a, it's a strange playoff. Do you want to sort of talk us through that one, Stuart? Yeah, so if, uh, as you say, if one of them had a mysterious car accident, one of the alternates would uh, get through. Yeah, so the as you, as you explained, so they were just going to play 18 repeatedly. And after a while, if they would keep going, they might have chosen 10, uh, which are also in that picture right behind you. And um, yes, as you said, they both, all three sprayed their tee shots on the 18th. One guy got within, um, got onto the green mat five metres, made his four. Uh, the other two didn't, made five. So straight away, that first guy was in to the Australian Open. And uh, the odd feeling of actually walking back down the 18th fairway with them, because the two of them are now not in the Australian Open, clearly disappointed that they've missed their opportunity. Um, and they've got to play off for what? Alternate positions one and four. Um as it turned out. So off they go down again. I had a story about the second time they walked back down the 18th as well. But yeah, and then they both, uh, I think uh, one made a four on 18 playing at the second time. He then became the alternate number one and the other guy missed a putt of maybe two metres for a four and therefore became alternate number four. And as you say, it wasn't an alternate to get into the Australian Open field. It was just an alternate for one of those six that qualified on that Monday. Um so very, very slight chance of them, of course, um, playing um, at the event. Did you keep an eye on that as to whether one of them got through? Did I keep it? No, I didn't. No, completely. Because I went straight to the Dunes medal and then, of course, the Australian. So I completely lost sight of it, sort of in the yeah. rear vision mirror. I didn't really look at it. I should have a look back because those players also um, might be on the list or getting through to the Australian Open via their own PGA Tour of Australasia status yeah. or, yeah. or European Tour status. Well, having said that, of the three people in the playoff, two of them are amateurs. Uh, yes. Yes, and the amateur got through and the, and the one um, who finished one, I think, he he's a pro. So mm -mm. this is... No, the pro, sorry, the pro lost. Oh, sorry. He, he was the one yeah. that three putted. Um, mm. So this is this is so this is the interesting thing. So that pro who finished ultimate four, he could still he might have been yes, yeah. He might have been number three for the full field yeah. of PGA Tour Australasian. So this is exactly this isn't necessarily rules, but it's quite it, it is part of the match committee, and so it is quite interesting. So we've tried to explain it, but we probably haven't been as simple and as clear as possible. Okay, so you've got Monday qualifying to get six guys out of 200 get into uh, the Australian Open. And then, so that's fine. That's easy, simple, done. A lot of those players are still, if they're professionals, still can get through on the categories that they have 
um, created for themselves by playing well at previous tournaments, uh, playing well at tour school, or playing not quite as well at tour school. Uh, so they can get through to the, the full field through those categories if other people drop out. So you might have 10 people drop out. And so they'll select those 10 people from the categories first. Okay, so it's most important from the categories first. Then they allocate these six spots for the Monday qualifier. And let's say the four alternates, that's another category. That category only goes through if all if four of the six drop out effectively. Okay. Mm. So that pro who finished fourth, he still might have been we don't know, but he might have been number two or yeah. next in line because of his category on the PGA Tour of Australasia. But the, the amateur, um, and I talked to one pro who finished Monday qualifying and then he finished one at the Oz PGA. And yeah, he, he was up there, but he didn't, he didn't get through. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's a rarity for an alternate for the qualifier to get through, but we do it anyway. I would think so. Just in case. Mysterious car accident. Or, you Unexplained know, car accident. Or some of them get COVID, although I think, of you're, allowed to, I think you're allowed to play with COVID at the moment. I can't remember those rules. Um, but, yeah, say two of the qualifiers were in the same car and something happened. Um, and then the two alternates uh, would get through. So here you are. You've got the situation where the playoff, it, it's not like the two people had par and the last person had a bogey and he gets alternate four and misses out. They, the winner had a par and he's finished. So um, you've, got to go, yeah. you've got to go back down the 18th. You've got to go back down the 18th or the playoff hole just to get this alternate spot. Number one, or well, you're both getting an, you know, you're both getting an alternate spot. One's getting four, one, and one's getting four. And of course, you know, no one's going to go, oh, we'll just flip for it or whatever. Because, you know, imagine that one chance to get in the yeah. odds open um, and, and it comes off and you're like, oh, why did I flip for it? I should have just played them. So, you know, they're walking back down the fairway of the 18th to go to the tee just for a, not just a chance and, and a very, very low chance. Better chance than me, but yes, a chance. Uh, of getting in the odds up. What a, or a horrible feeling. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've got a story about that playoff. I also have another st rule story about that qualifying round. But did you want to answer a rules question from another oh, episode? Yes. Yeah, we probably should get into uh, GRQ OTW 72. And then I'd like to share with you a couple of the rule stories that I saw. One involved me as a referee um, from that particular and from the playoff you just spoke about then. Do you remember GRQ OTW for 72? Uh, no, but I could look it up. I have it right here. Oh, right here. You go for it then. Helen finds her ball in a red penalty area and moves a loose impediment next to her ball. However, in doing so, her ball moves. Thinking that that may be a penalty and in an attempt to avoid the penalty, she then decides to pick up her ball and take lateral relief from the penalty area. How many penalty strokes in total? Uh, well, she cannot avoid that penalty for um, 
for causing her ball to move. So at that time when she picked up the loose impediment, she wasn't planning on taking penalty relief. Uh, so she still gets that. Her ball was in play effectively, and she's still thinking she's going to play it as it lies. Uh, she picks up the loose impediment and um, causes the ball to move. It's a one-stroke penalty. Then she decides that she's going to take penalty area relief. Uh, that's another penalty, so it should be total of two. Now, this brings a question in my mind. Uh, if you if you say that you're going to take penalty area relief, then pick up a loose impediment, cause the ball to move. Can you avoid that penalty because you said you were going to take penalty area relief? Isn't one of the exceptions to Rule 9.4 in applying a rule? Yeah, but I reckon that, that sounds like you're circumvented circumventing a rule just so that you can avoid penalty. Your but real, a, your real intention sorry. Yeah. Your your real intention was not to take penalty area, area relief. It was to see if you can move the loose impediment without Oh, you're saying that player then changes their mind. They hey yes. hey guys, I'm just gonna uh I'm just gonna take relief in the penalty area here reach down, move a loose impediment to move their ball, to, to pick up their ball, lift their ball from the course, to take that relief, that move a loose impediment. Move. Ball doesn't move. Go, um, actually, I think I'm going to play as it lies. Yeah, I, th I almost think that that's, that's wrong. I, almost... I don't see anything wrong with it, though. As in, I don't see anything. I don't think you've done anything wrong. So, so if you, okay, so if you haven't done anything wrong, if it does move, do you get penalised? <laughs> um, yes. Because you haven't lifted your ball. You've moved, lifted the loose impediment. Okay, so your ball is sitting there. You've said, hey, guys, I'm just going to take relief. Come back, move the loose impediment. Your ball then moves. Yeah. The question is now, um, is there a penalty for that ball moving? I think is what you're asking. Yeah. I would think if they go to play that ball as it lies, well, they need to replace it if they're going to play it as it lies. Otherwise, they're going to incur more than one. Um, they need to, yeah, if they're going to play as it lies, they need to put it back and take and play it and then take a one-stroke penalty. If they go on to take relief from the penalty area, I don't think you can, I mean, it's like they were moving this branch out of the way to get access to their ball. It's a very interesting situation. I think you've declared your intent to take relief in the penalty area. Um, it's, a, it's very similar, actually, to um, moving a tree. Uh, interpretation 9.4A1. When your player's ball is dislodged, from a tree, but no, but in that case, you're searching for your ball. This this case, you're not searching for your no, ball. You can see your, you can see your ball. Um, I really do think if you said, I'm just going to take relief, um, and you made that quite clear, it's clear what the intent is. I mean, you talk, you talk a lot about intent and how often a committee or a referee will ask the player to clarify their position on something, clarify their intent. 
Um, well, they could easily say, "Oh, I was just, uh, I was just about to pick up my ball and I uh, exactly, moved that. absolutely, they could say that." Yeah, what's the problem, ref? Hmm. I dropped it. I dropped it out of the side, outside the relief area. It doesn't sound good, though, does it? In fact, no, 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 it doesn't. Not at all. It doesn't. But I think you wouldn't even know the player had done that or was going to do that or that was their intent. Actually, just a very clever use of the rules. Uh, and I don't like it... circumventing. I'm, I'm the biggest opponent to getting around stuff and circumventing, but I just... I think you could be very clever with it and be okay. Yeah, but that doesn't sound... It doesn't sound like using your rules to your advantage. It sounds like changing your intention to your advantage. Changing, yeah. changing, um, yeah, your honesty of your. Oh, I agreed. But again, if you declared, hey, yeah, I'm just going to take it, or, you know, to your marker or the nearest other player, uh, I'm going to take relief. Yeah, no problems. Um, move the loose of head of and go, actually, didn't move. I might hit it. And then hit it anyway. You wouldn't even have to go back to them and say, actually, I changed my mind before you made the next stroke. Just hit the thing. That one I sort of understand. I get that. I get that one. I don't like it, but I get it. Okay. Mm. You, you can change your mind like that. Mm. But if it does move, right. can you then say, oh, I was just trying to grab it? As you say, that, that person then has to go to sleep that night and sleep well. I've often, I've heard you say that before. Hope they were in a car crash. David. Uh, rightio. So let's move on. So you've got a couple of stories. I do from that. So let's go back to the playoff because you explained that. And I mentioned you were you were actually behind the green watching all this, and uh, with quite a few other people watching as well. And as it, so the first playoff hole has been done, first amateurs through. He's got spot uh, in the Australian Open. The other two need to now play for alternate, as you see, one and four. And as they walk, I sort of asked around because I was in a cart. I said, oh, is there, can we grab another cart and just ferry them back?" And there was a quick no. They could walk, you know. So off they walk back down. But, of course, halfway down the fairway, they drop their bags, the two players, pull out their driver and continue walking. Now, one player had put his bag way off the side into the rough. The other player put his bag smack bang in the middle of the fairway. And, of course, I've already, I didn't know this at the time because I'd already driven down to the 18th. So I've looked back and I've seen this bag sitting right in the middle of the fairway. I don't know if it was left or centre or right or centre because it was smack bang in the middle. And then I just thought, and I thought about it straight away about laying down an object on the course to help with alignment to your line of play. And I brought this up to you as we drove, as I drove back to the behind the 18th green, I mentioned this to you. And do you remember what you said to me? And can you repeat what you said to me? Uh, I just said, you'd have to find out the player's intention. So if they left it there on purpose... Yeah, there's a penalty um, under 10 point. 2B1. 2B1. I think 2B2 is putting green. I shouldn't think like this. You know, I shouldn't say, oh, I think it is. I've got the rule book right That's there. pretty good, though. You're getting pretty close. Uh, so, um, yeah, so I think it's their intention was, yes, they meant to aim at it. Um, then there's a penalty. Uh, and if they were just relaxingly putting it there because um, they didn't want to carry it all the way back down the 18th. No, no, and... I get that. But he's, but the other player put his bag right up against the trees. 
well off the fairway. No, I didn't remember that one, but are you suggesting that he was trying to stop his ball going into the trees? No, not at all. <laughs> what I was saying was that was the best place to put your bag, was getting yeah. out of the way of play, as yeah. opposed to smack bang in the middle of the fairway. And it just looked odd. It looked fishy. It looked a bit, this just doesn't, I mean, imagine, yeah, as you say, clarify the intention of the player. Why would you put your bag there? Oh, well, I didn't want to take it all the way to the 18th tee. Okay, that's fine, but why didn't you put it off where the other guy did? I think, I oh, think well, that was... Because it's a perfect, perfect line. That's where I want to hit my ball over. <laughs> I think it was more a case of, why am I going back down this hole to play this shitty playoff? As it turned out, that was the guy who won alternate number one. He won the next playoff hole. He won it. Yes. Yeah. That um, was the guy. <clears throat> he almost hit his bag too. He, he landed his ball and it came to rest at exactly the same distance as his bag was from the tee. It did not. Is, I didn't notice it. Yeah, which was pretty impressive. It was just out to the right-hand side. So he actually lined very, it up perfectly. It was very impressive. Yeah, he should have got a two-shot penalty. Come on. You're the referee. You just no, no, but I, I raised it with uh, my with the employee from the National Sporting Body who was with me. <laughs> I did raise it with him. Well, we, we were all... And you know him better than I do. There was about um, four five of us around behind the green, and we were laughing about it. And, oh, so you did, yeah. I mean, it just stood oh, out. Oh, yeah, we, it we, stood yeah, it did. out. It did. We had all the time it took for him to walk down that hole. Yes. We had all the time it took to talk about it and go, oh, has he done that on purpose? Oh. But uh, we, you know, basically it just be talking to the player about the intention. It didn't seem like much of a, if any, any advantage to us, so we didn't even think twice about it. Because, you know, it's a flat hole. You can see everything. You can see the green. You can see the flag. You know what? You know you've just played the hole. We saw no benefit whatsoever of where he put his bag. Uh, it would have been interesting if it actually hit it. I'd say that that would have been accidental as well. Yeah. Because it wouldn't have been any advantage um, advantage there mm. from being a couple or three meters further forward or something like that so uh we just let it go and you asked the question we said oh, no don't uh, you can ask the player but we're not too fast no yeah you had a couple of other stories from uh, well there was one other Monday which i think qualifying yeah raises a more interesting situation um and that was there were two of us two referees out on course and i get the call over the radio to go to hole 17 for a second opinion. And I wanted to run this by you. And the, the specific situation, we can talk about it, but it's really not the issue. It was more the ruling under rule 20.2 or something like that, you know, resolving issues in stroke play. And I was wondering about who can call for a second opinion? Because it'd be my understanding all this time that players go, you know, they won't use these words, but sort of, I'm not happy with that first ruling. Um, can we get a, a second person to come in and, and you know, and talk about it, please, or, you know, discuss it with it? So I get the call for the second opinion. I go over to the situation and I provide the player relief. Well, I thought the player should have got relief as opposed to the first referee who denied that person relief. And the way the rule is written, I think, is it's the referee that can call in for a second opinion rather than the player asking for a second opinion. And it's almost like the referee's giving, doing the player a favour by saying, okay, I will call in someone else to provide their opinion as well. 
So I was interested in your thoughts about uh, that situation. Uh, yeah, so it's actually on the, it, it depends on the hard card um, for the tournament as to whether the player is entitled to a second opinion. Basically, the rules say that the player is not entitled right. to a second opinion. The second opinion is called in by the first referee. Yep. And if they are unsure or they want to help the player under, because they, you know, the referee might be like, I'm, you know, 99% certain or 100% certain, but he just wants to calm down the situation and say, okay. Um, yeah, we'll get a second uh, opinion in here for you. That's fine. Um, then it is the referee, and and they they what I'm saying is they might be swayed by the player. Hey, that's that can't be right. I need a second opinion, and the referee is like, I'm 100, percent but uh, I'll help you out and get you to you know calm down a bit. Sweet, we can get another referee, and he's just on the next hole or something like that. Uh, so it is the second opinion is from the referee, but if the hard card says that every player is eligible for a second opinion, then it's actually the player that can call in for the second opinion. And on the US PGA Tour, I believe they do have that the player can call in for the second opinion. Uh, they don't get that element for the third opinion, but uh, hmm. they, do, they do for the second um, so that's what the second opinion is all about. And to be honest, you know, you don't want to, as a referee, you don't want to stuff anything up. You might have forgotten something or you think that it's quite harsh and you just, um, but you, that's how you see it. So you rule on it that way. Um, but you, you say, sh you know, sure, we'll get in a second opinion. Um, can someone come to hole 15 uh, for a second opinion? So, excuse me. So, in that particular case, you talked about the the referee being one hundred percent sure. But surely, when the player immediately comes back with, "Gee, I'm not so sure about that. Can I get a second opinion?" Like straight away, do you think the referee now only feels ninety eight percent sure or ninety five percent sure, and not one hundred percent sure in some cases? Yeah. Well, I had one. Uh, I, I talked about it in the last podcast. Had one in Morocco where they were sort of. It was uneven surface. You could have said that it was um, it was wheel tire marks, um, but it was so far off the fairway, That's and right. uh, I was just not. Was I cert, uh, like sure of it? No, I wasn't a hundred percent. He was. He wasn't happy about it, so I could have called for a second opinion, um, but. I was, in the end, even though I was sort of unsure, I was actually, sounds a bit weird, but I was actually sure of my decision. I was like, no, no, the decision is you don't get any free relief and I'm not going to get a second opinion in for yeah. you. Um, you know, a, another referee could say that you could get relief. Uh, another referee could say you couldn't. Um, I'm decided that you couldn't, even though I'm sort of, it's a grey area. That's probably the easier way to describe it. It's a grey area. Um, in this case, I'm 100% sure I'm not going to give you free relief and I'm not going to get a second opinion in for you. Hmm. 
Hmm. Uh, whereas that other one in Egypt, uh, I knew it was going to be a tough ruling, but I didn't didn't like that he was going to try and get free relief from where he was. It just seemed like an it, there was a possibility that he had interference, but it seemed like a ridiculous. It was an unreasonable shot. That's that's the best way to say it. So even though even though he could have hit it, it would have been an unreasonable shot to assume that he would dig down through big rocks of about five inches to hit this pipe. And I, but then in that case, because I knew a referee was about 40 metres away, I said, do you want a second opinion? Do you want a second opinion? And he said, no. So, hmm. um, so that's that. So I did offer that one. Um, but I, I did kind of know that that referee would have denied him anyway. Right. Maybe the player knew who you were. Uh, players don't know who I am. <laughs> I'm not. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not that famous. Um, anyway, you, know what, any... you know what they say about referees? Oh, probably. They should be seen and not heard. Not heard, yes. Um, so in this particular case, I treated that when I got called over the radio to go and provide assistance. Um, I've driven over. Of course, the other two players have played on. This player's just still sitting there with his ball just off the edge of the fairway. And I sort of treated it as a new situation, as if I had just arrived at the scene. Uh, and I've gone through... So the referee who was standing there didn't say anything. I've just gone straight to the player. How can I help? He's explained what's happened. Um, and I'm going through the thought... Pro you know, going through the thought process of relief or not. And I've said... Yeah, I've got no problem with you getting relief here. Um, and that's how he's proceeded. Um, so I guess, you know, should I have gone to the other referee first? Should I have seen the situation, not made a ruling, turned to the other referee and said to him, this is what I think? Or was I right to just go straight away to the player? Yeah, no, you're fine. You can take relief there. Let's just work out your nearest point, complete relief and and proceed. Are you asking my opinion or what the... A little, uh, yeah. No, a well, little. I mean, it really is. It really is an opinion based on experience or being taught by others. Um, so, as soon as that referee hands it over to you, they get they get out of the way. They don't step in with more information or. But what do you think of this? They have decided um, to give it to the to this first uh, the second referee, or as we said, it could be in the hard card that they have to give it away, and you kind of know like. You hundred percent know that the player didn't get relief. Yep. Yep. If they got free relief, they wouldn't, wouldn't be, be asking. <laughs> they wouldn't be asking for a second opinion. So you know that the, there's one reason that yeah, there's one only one reason that you're there. Yeah. Um. So, but the rep, the other referee shouldn't say you know jump back in and go oh I I wouldn't have given relief here. You know yep. that. Yep. Okay. Mm. And you don't need it. You just find out the information from the player. Yeah. Yeah. Um, from the caddies if you need to find. Um, and so you should be the only, and suddenly the referee, they, they should probably even just leave, drive off, uh, drive off, don't hang around and, uh, yeah. And move on to the next. So this, this poses another question, which I don't think is covered anywhere in the rules, but I'll just pose it to you that why is, if I'm the referee called in for the second opinion, why is my ruling carry greater weight than yours? And let me put it into a specific example. Let's say you were the first referee on the scene and you said, sorry, James, there's no way. I, I, you can't get relief. It's not a reasonable stroke, whatever the reasons might be. 
And James says, look, I'd like a second opinion. Yeah, no worries. Stuart's just on the other fairway. I'll get him over. I drive over. You drive off. I look at the situation and go, oh, no, that's fine. Yeah. Just find your nearest point of complete relief and take a club length and go. So I guess the question is, why is my ruling carry more weight than yours? You were probably correct. And you and I catch up afterwards and you say, did you give him relief? I said, yeah. And you go, you idiot. No, you shouldn't have because of this. And I go, oh, uh, yeah, I forgot about that. Well, in, all- most, hmm. in most cases, Stuart, the second opinion is by a more senior staff. That's obviously not the case. No offence to either of you. With limited uh, referees. Exactly. With limited referees and a, and a small uh, one Whole, a one round playoff, uh, sorry, round, one round, uh, effectively it is a playoff, <laughs> one round qualifying, um, that's that's not the case. But if in the normal case of having three referees per nine. And Rovers. Uh, two Rovers per nine and a, and a tournament director uh, yep. overlooking the whole thing. If I was on the fifth hole, I'd call in one of my Rovers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if the rover was there and he needed a ruling, he would call in either the other rover or the tournament director. Now, right. as I said, that's not the case in this situation. Uh, but that would be that would be why the, or where they would sort of come from in terms of that second opinion. You get a second and you call a referee in that has more experience than you. No, that's a very good answer. Thank you. No worries. Uh, any others? Do you have any others? <clears throat> well, that's just the qualifying done. Uh, had some thing that, things at the Dunes medal, but nothing. Um, actually, I did have one thing about the Dunes medal. The, um, I don't know if you know the Dunes that well. I've played there a handful of times and really enjoyed the course. Uh, the second hole, yeah, okay, second hole, elevated green, and over the back of the green just drops off dramatically, and it's just really thick bush. You can't even walk down through there. And there was one big tree branch that had been felled uh, sitting at the top of that rise. Anyway, guy's ball flies and goes over the back. Took a bit of time to find it, and it was buried right under this tree branch. And I mean, sorry, big, not a branch. I mean, a tree. Uh, you could hardly touch the ball with your club, let alone make a stroke at it. Right, it was that. Very done. Anyway, so he's looked at me. I just happen to be there. Um, unplayable. I said, yep, three options. Go back, um, back as far as you're, sorry, back to where you just passed by. Back on the line, which was horrible, down this steep incline, just wouldn't even be able to drop a ball, let alone play it. Or lateral. And, of course, he's immediately gone to lateral. But even lateral was horrible. And I just thought this is a great situation where, in most cases with an unplayable, you almost are... Uh, almost inclined not to tell them stroke and distance because they're never going to take that option. Um, you know, in 99% of cases, a player's not taking stroke and distance. And as I said, you almost feel silly offering that as a, an option to them, but but you do anyway. In this particular case, I reckon this guy, head and shoulders above the rest, his best option was by far to go back down to where he just played his second shot from and play it again from there and just hit a different club and land it on the green rather than flying the green. Because back on the line was next to impossible. Lateral was almost as bad. Um, and he took some time to clear a lot of loose impediments and crap out of the way um, to even find a spot where he could drop the ball. Ended up making an eight or something on the hole. 
Whereas he could have landed on the green for four and two putter for a six. He was that good. He was good enough for it, but he flew the green. Anyway, just a <clears throat> more an observation that in most cases I feel silly saying, oh, your first option is stroke and distance. Not your first, but an option is stroke and distance. In this particular case, really was the only option. But um, I'm wondering how many players don't even think about stroke and distance. It's really interesting. Uh, I don't think I've had too many where I've taken them back to their last or their previous spot played from. But in the pro game, and this is what I see a lot with the pro game, that differentiates from the amateur game is it's it's you know each shot is important and they will take their medicine um when they know they it will save they're so much more calculating is what is the difference that i see the amateur doesn't want the um the feeling of, oh, I have to go back down. It looks so, I'm going to put that group, you know, they're going to see me walking back down the hill or walking back down the hole. Um, oh, it's going to be so embarrassing. I'll just try and, you know, I hope surely I can make up and down from here somewhere. Whereas the pro will be calculated. They'll be more calculating. They'll be like, okay, my best bet to make this lowest score on the hole is actually to go back to where I play. And I, oh, can you drive me back down there? Yeah, sure, mate. No worries. So I've certainly seen it. I've had seen it happen with um, the professionals. Uh, it doesn't happen too often because usually there is some kind of lateral. Yeah, they don't probably. want to give up the distance. Um, but the amateur definitely doesn't want to give up the distance more for an ego thing than anything. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's it's a good point you make. Yeah, as I said, I feel silly sometimes even offering stroke and distance when you know yeah. they're not going to take it. But it's yeah, one of their options. Right. So you're uh, you've been at the Australian Open, which concludes today. You've been at the Australian Open, um, not as a referee this week, but as a Walker scorer. How was that? And for the, yeah, thank you. And for those who don't know, <clears throat> for those who don't know what a Walker scorer is at all these major events is every single group has a person like myself with a clipboard with the score sheet and a radio. And once all three players or two players hole out, um, you actually record their scores and all where they've shot, where they've made their strokes from and how many parts and whether they hit the fairway or not. And you report their whole score, <clears throat> excuse me, through to a central location. And that's used really for two things. It's used for updates on the website and is also used for the broadcast. And so... We're going to the next tee and we could saw a, saw a big scoreboard and I saw one of our players who was in the top 10 and and sure enough, 30 seconds after I'd radioed it through walking off the other green, the score had updated on the scoreboard. So that's what the Walker scorers do and every group, as I said, at these major events has a Walker scorer. How was it? Um, both courses, so Kingston Heath and Victoria the first two days, I was at Victoria yesterday, both courses were in incredible condition. Just phenomenal. Um, you know, word you like to use of mint. You know, just I couldn't believe how good the courses were, how good the fairways were. The greens just looked perfect. Um, one thing I think I can tell, you know, by the size of the event is how many generators you hear. <laughs> it's just the purring of generators everywhere with, you know, powering scoreboards or concession stands or air conditioners. And there's just so many generators and cables running in so many different places. How was it? Uh, my first group on Thursday was a group of women. They really struggled. <clears throat> Scoring wasn't great. 
morale wasn't great. The best score in that group was plus five, the best. Um, scoring wasn't great. Morale wasn't good. Uh, Friday, also at Kingston Heath, I followed a, guy, a bunch of guys. Um, much better, much better scoring, a bit more of a buzz. Uh, it was all good. What I, I did notice at how many referees there were actually at the Australian Open, especially yesterday, Victoria. There were so many referees. Um, I think almost the last 10 groups had a walking referee. Plus, there were all the guys and girls in carts just plonked on the side of a fairway somewhere. Obviously, a lot of people you know and a few people I know that I said hello to, and I don't think they were doing a lot. Um, <laughs> because, well, because, as I said, the last 10 groups all had walkers, all had walking referees. I know the walking referee in our group didn't do a thing. Just, you know, walked around for five hours. So I would suspect some of those other people who are sitting in a cart probably did less than that. Yeah. Um, but there were a lot of referees there today, uh, at Victoria, that's for sure. So what we take out of that is referees don't do anything. We don't really need them. Sorry, I don't think that's uh, exactly what <laughs> um, <clears throat> No, they are definitely needed. You know, maybe they're needed more in the... You know, I guess if the standard of the golf is lower, you're more likely getting to those situations of ball searches, unplayable, and other things, you know, taking relief, hitting provisionals, all that sort of stuff. Or, when if, the the standard st- of the go- yeah. or, or if the standard of the course is lower, um, there might be a lot more GUR. Mm. If, if it rained, which it hasn't rained mm. in Melbourne for six days, it's amazing. Having rained nonstop for six months, it seems. Yeah. Um, so the standard of golf yesterday, I had three women. People would know, you know, Jenny Shin and Sarah Kemp, an Australian. Um, their ball striking was unbelievable. They just hit almost every single fairway. They hit the ball so straight. When you hit fairways and greens, and the only time you make a blemish is hit a greenside bunker occasionally or three putt, um, there's not a lot of rulings in there. Actually, um, the uh, with that group, the referees would have been pretty busy. They, they might have even broken their clock. <laughs> well, you, you and I spoke about this beforehand. There was one player in that group, and I haven't mentioned a third, but there was one player in that group who was really slow. And I, I timed her once or twice on a few shots, just off to the side, had my stopwatch out, and just really, really slow. She's their round was five always, hours. Yeah. Always been slow. Yeah, their round was five hours. The first two days, my two rounds were 450, 455, something like that. Yesterday was right on five hours. And they were behind, I thought. Yeah. Because when we're walking down 17 and you can look across and see 18, you couldn't see it in the par five. You couldn't see any players. Uh, how, really gone. how was the actual court? Because the women and men played on the same course. Right. How was the um, setup of the course in comparison to men and women? Like, obviously, if, if a, a man's hitting... Uh, an eight iron, they might be able to one bounce stop it. Whereas a a woman may have been able to do that, or she might it might be sort of a nine iron or wedge. Um, if you've got feedback that women can stop seven irons, and tell me, but I, that's not my experience. Um, so then then you want to sort of create put the tee blocks at positions where a man's hitting a an eight or seven iron or whatever you want and then you want the the women to be hitting about the same distance or not the same distance about the same club club 
Hmm. Was the was a course set up very similar to that kind of yeah, arrangement? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because there were quite a few holes where both men and women played off the same tee. For example, the first at Victoria, very very short, two forty meter, you know, par four. Mm-hmm. They were all playing off the same tee. Yeah. Uh, the tenth, similar, uh, although that's not a drivable par four. But tenth, both hitting off the same tee. Quite a lot of holes. They were basically teeing off the same spot. Now, in two of those cases, it was a par four for men, par five for women. Okay, okay. If it was a short par three, they were all hitting off the same tee. Yeah. Then the uphill... Um, 14th. Uh, I was going to say 16th. Uh, 17, oh, yeah, 16, yeah. Yeah, 16th, uphill, 150. So they're both hitting off, you know, both hitting off the same tee. Um, seventh, uphill, both hitting off the same tee. Um, so there's a so few there's... holes like that where, yeah, they're hitting basically the same tee. That's very interesting because that means that... that... A, they couldn't have put the guys off any further back anyway. Um, that would have been the longest course they probably had for the guys. For the women, they will, if you just think about it from stats and, and error rate of having a longer shot and not being as accurate, uh, they will play slower. That is just the guarantee that you... So... Yeah, if if the women played slower with that kind of set course setup, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Like mm. I would actually think that that is five hours isn't great, but I would think that that was normal. Do you you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do actually. Just thinking of the fourth hole now. The fourth now fourth hole they were definitely twenty meters in front. Now I can picture okay. it. Okay. Um, yeah, but as I said, there were a lot of tees where they actually teed off all the tee markers. The three of them, all abilities as well. All three of them were sort of within five metres of each other. Yeah, right. Now, the men's would have had a hoarding around it, whereas the women would have had hoarding unless it was in the way of the men. Is that right? Hoarding? What do you mean by that? Uh, the T-boards. Um, how did they? Oh, so if it was the same T, both it had men and women on the same board. Yeah. It might have had a five-metre difference uh, with the women, men, and it might have yep. said par four, par five, something like that. Yep. Um, or if they were 20 metres in front, they'd just have a smaller, not a wraparound yeah. signage, but just a, on the side. Yeah. You know, fourth, you know, par three, 148 women. Yeah, because you wouldn't you wouldn't want the men to hit that board. I wouldn't have thought so. No, it's a no, TIO. I thought so. <laughs> TIO when you're on the tee. <laughs> uh, very good, Stuart. No, that so, would be a bit odd. So you've taken the day off today, even though they needed their best walker scorer there. Thank you, they did. But uh, I did get complimented on my walking scoring. And when you sign off for the, oh, they just said, oh, I heard you loud and clear all day. Very professional. Because, you know, just that common, you know, people start talking before the the signal even kicks in, you know, that sort of basic stuff. And Hello? Yeah, they press press the button and start talking straight away. Or they start talking as they press the button. And, of course, it takes a second to click in. (laughs) So you're going to wait for here that, you know, you've got to click, wait for the do-do-do-do-do. Then start talking. Just basic, as we would say in the military, Raytel, radio telephone procedure. Just basic sort of uh, procedure. Anyway, that aside, um, ep- I did. This is episode one of the Walker Scorer podcast. <laughs> I don't know if they get much of a following. The um, the I should tell you a quick story about uh, day one at Kingston Heath. I'm at the first tee with, uh, with my bibs, with my scoreboard, my radio score sheet, my radio ready for my group to come to the first tee and what have you. And uh, probably 10 minutes before tea time is right at midday. Um, 
And there's quite a few people around the first tee, but there's not thousands. And this guy comes up to me because I've got my volunteer shirt on. Guy comes up to me and says, oh, have they changed the tee times around? I said, yeah, they've shifted them by five minutes. So like I was at 12.05, now I'm at 12.10. They've just moved them, something like that. He goes, oh, I thought Cameron Smith was teeing off here at uh, 12.05. <laughs> and I said, um, I said it in the nicest possible way. I said, I think you'll find he's uh, playing at Victoria today. <laughs> <laughs> at which point he didn't give any thank you or, oh, I didn't realise, or he just skulked off. He just lowered the head, started flicking through his phone again and just stormed off almost. I, I can't believe I went to this wrong golf course. Right. I may have got the wrong first tee. And I had, uh, to, ha- I had to ask a walker scorer to tell me <laughs> that I was wrong. Now I've got yeah. to go and pay for another set of car parking <laughs> just to go and see Cameron Smith. Or I could leave my car here the whole night and come back in the morning. And I might catch him as he tees off on the fourth by the time I get there. <laughs> so for those who don't know, Kingston and Victoria are not that far away, but it must be four or five Ks as the crow flies. Yeah, I think I think Something it would like be I think it would be a lot better, and it's a hard one to do. There's only basically one or two courses that you could actually do it on. Um, it would be a lot better if they played the tournaments at courses that were neighbours. Yeah, she had a boundary. So, so Royal Melbourne's got 36 holes. That would have worked. Uh, Victoria and Royal could have yeah. shared 18. Just walk across Reserve Road. Yeah. Huntingdale and Metro. Mm, that was um, quite a few have, of them. Could have done it. Um, that's about it. Uh, mm. Peninsula Kingswood's got 36 holes. Yep. But uh, it, it, that, the fact that they were so far apart, even though they are the most, you know, world-class golf courses, yep. um, the fact that they were so far apart does, you do lose a little bit. Mm. Um, so hopefully, hopefully someone will stick their hand up next year and say, hey, come and play at our 36-hole um, facility. facility. Yeah. Because, you yeah. know, the Vic, the Vic Open's been run in a 36-hole facility. Uh, yep. For 12, 10 yeah, years, mm. 10 years. So, um, you know, they do. And I was going to say about the course setup, the guys on the PGA Tour of Australasia actually have a ton, a ton of experience and knowledge about setting up a golf course for men and women because they've done it for the last 10 years. Now, it doesn't quite sound like they, having the women so far back with the men, as I said, does slow down um, the women a lot more than it probably should in the spectrum. And you can see from the scores as well, although they, uh, you know, maybe the, the scoring is more about the field and the quality of field um, since the current leader is on 14 under and the, and the cut was plus 13, uh, whereas the men's was a lot tighter with the current leader at minus 11 and the cut being plus two. So maybe it's more about the quality of field. So in that instance, it's, you know, some would say, I'll oh, push the woman further back because we've got minus 14. Uh, but then hmm. the cut, the cut was plus 13. Um, yeah. so, so you don't really want to push them too for too much further back. No, I wouldn't have thought so. Um, but you know, if you, if you have the woman further closer to the, um, closer to the T a shorter hole, uh, you could actually put the pins in a lot, a little bit trickier spots. 
Um, but then again, that would affect uh, how the men play if you have them all the way back. It's a tough yeah. thing, that course setup. It's a, mm. it's, it's a tough one to get right when you have... Um, Men and women. Uh, yeah, people with diff very differing abilities. Mm. Uh, excellent. Have you got any other stories for us yesterday, uh, from yesterday or or anything there, Stuart? Uh, no, just one or two players are a bit slow that I actually timed myself um, that probably could have... You know, we know on the hard card or it's, you know, 50-40-40, and, you know, I think every single shot I timed was well well in excess of 50 seconds. Um, which like one, which one, is, yeah. it's a, it's okay if the group's in position. Exactly, and, of course. You know, of course, they can might, take, their, take their time. It might mean that the group in front are out of position. But if the exactly. group are out of position, then they should definitely be spoken. Well, I know first day the referee came over and said, oh, the group, just letting you know, the group in front have been put on the clock. Um. And then I felt we were actually struggling. And that's not my responsibility. I shouldn't say we. I just happened to be walking with that group. Um, we were struggling, you know, sort of keep up with him. And they were on the clock. Yeah. Um, anyway, just a did few. You, did you, did they, did the referee speak to and you, uh, the players and you were near the players? Or did the Correct. referee speak to the players and then spoke to you guys? No, just overheard. I mean, I wouldn't have spoken to the Walker scorers. No, 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 not at all. It's not, not. Hey, hey, Walker Scorer. No, no, no. I've got one job. You've got to, you've got to write faster and walk faster. I mean, uh, I think so you, the a key see, role. A, sorry, that's a, a a really cool thing that you know you're. Uh, um, what's the word? Burdening, budgeting, bludgeoning. No, I don't know the word. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're a rookie referee who's really keen on refereeing a lot more tournaments. Um, just hearing that kind of player management that yes how to speak to players that's you know that's in um really um priceless advice so one of the referees on uh th thursday or friday we're chatting you know the guys i said to you he said hello to you and um he said oh you're so keen on the rules are you I said i'm learning every day yeah and every time i go out there i'm learning something um yeah. Anyway, I think the key role the Walker scorer actually does play is in the event of an emergency or in the case of one day on Thursday, the re the player turned to me and said, can I get a ruling? And of course, I said, yeah, I'm on my way. No, I didn't say that. I said, no worries, I'll get I said, yeah, I'll call them in. So, of course, you get on the network and just, because that's their only way of actually really, I mean, you can wave one down, but they're driving the other direction, you know. Um, this is Stuart. Uh, can I get a ruling? <laughs> Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, ruling needed on hole 12. Yeah, on my way. Oh, sorry, the radio's broken. I'm just gonna have to, uh, I'm, gonna have to step, I'm gonna have to step in. Uh, radio's broken. Uh, yeah, so uh, this is GUR and your nearest point of free relief, and blah blah blah. Yep, go for it. You're all good. Actually, I did oh, help shit, one. I didn't, I didn't have my radio turned on. <laughs> on the back of 16, one of the girls had to lift for interference, just they were both off the fringe and both putting. And she's marking it and um, and she's holding it with the old pincer movement. And I just, uh, and her caddy said to me, oh, look at her. Isn't that funny? She's holding it with the the way she's holding it. The caddy's saying to me. And then I, of course, jump into referee mode straight away. And we're just waiting. We're just off the side chatting. And I said, well, you know, you don't have to hold it like that. But it is actually a good practice because it actually makes it, we've, you and I have spoken about this before, you know, it makes it quite clear to everyone else you are making no attempt to clean that ball. Um, and then the player comes over and we're chatting and 
just the three of us are chatting, having a good walk around on a Thursday afternoon. And I said, you know, there's nothing, no wrong, nothing wrong with you actually just placing it on the ground and letting go of it because she was holding it for quite a while. She goes, oh, I don't want to do that. I said, well, just don't roll it. You know, don't put it down and roll it. I said, it's not in play. I'm just going through, you know, just back in referee mode. And I said, it's not in play. Just put it there. And anyway, she eventually just did put it on the ground. Um, of course, you would know, you could be in my shoes right now. You are so keen to talk about rules. And why are we there to assist players? And you're so keen to jump into that mode of assisting a player. But I made it very clear. I said, I'm not an official today. So don't take anything I say, you know, as serious. <clears throat> Pardon me. But um, yeah. anyway, well, that's about th it. Thank you for that, Clark Kent. Did you have a little costume and you're like, just so, rip it off? Yeah, but <laughs> I didn't want to do that. I did have it under the but... rules, man. And then, you know, and then you jump into the trees and you put it back on. And you're like, oh, it's Clark Kent back again. Yeah, he's just telling the scores, telling the scores. <laughs> exactly. You have one job and pull mm. your head in, right? No, very good, Stuart. <laughs> very good. Um, <laughs> Shall we finish off uh, episode 73 with a GRQODW? Yeah, I've got one here ready to go for you, unless you've got one prepared. No, go for it, Stuart. <laughs> okay. This is a long one, but you'll follow along. This is GRQOTW for episode 73. Jerry and Fraser are playing a match. They're playing a match at Wombat Hills, and they're on the par 3 17th hole. The match is all square. Jerry tees off and hooks his tee shot left into long grass. After uh, Fraser plays his tee shot into a greenside bunker, Jerry declares and plays a provisional ball, which comes to rest 10 centimetres from the hole. As they start walking towards the green, Jerry declares his ball lost and says to Fraser, please don't look for it. Knowing Jerry has a possible tap-in for a four, Fraser decides to go over to the area and start searching. As Jerry moves to his provisional ball on the green, Fraser thinks he's found Jerry's ball and calls out, I found it. Jerry taps in his provisional ball and replies with, it doesn't matter, I declared, declared it lost and I've already putted in. Fraser isn't sure of the rules and requests a ruling. What is that ruling? Wow. So you, you're absolutely certain that Jerry heard Fraser yell out that he found a ball. Yep, found it. Jerry goes, hang on, tap. I'm in for a four. Look, doesn't matter. I'm in. I'm in the hole. Rightio. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, very good. Anything else to add, Stuart, before you wrap up episode 73? No, just a lot of golf, a lot of events coming up. Yeah, so just run us through <clears throat> what you got. Uh, Cathedral Invitational the next two so, days. So is Cathedral Invitational Monday, Tuesday? Correct. Invitational, small field. Uh, I think so, there's public and TV on the Tuesday. Maybe so both they, days. They don't, get, um, they don't get a practice round or is it a pro-am? Uh, no. Wow. Yeah. Oh, sorry, there are amateurs in the field, but it's not a pro-am. No, no, pro-am is no. where um, yeah. paid, paid amateurs. Yeah, no, not that. Uh, I mean, amateurs who pay to play. Yeah, uh, not that. And then, and then what, what's going on? Then the Gippsland Super 6 at Warrigal. Is that, so is that this weekend? Correct. Yeah, starting Thursday. Uh, so that's why the Gippsland Invitational tried to just pop in there because they didn't have anywhere on the calendar. 
Okay, gotcha. And then, and then, the uh, and then yeah, so then Gippsland Super 6. And then I won't do Sunday, but I'll do the first three days. And then it's the Victorian Amateur at Royal Melbourne, Victorian Amateur Championship at Royal Melbourne for two days, like the finals and the – I'll be a, a signed scorer for – signed scorer, not scoring anymore – and a signed referee for one of the women's semifinals. Okay. And then we hit the Sandbelt Invitational the week before Christmas. Yeah. All those four fantastic courses. Uh, which four are they? Kingston Heath. Yeah. Day one, Royal Melbourne. Yeah. Yarra Yarra and Peninsula Kingswood South. Okay. Yeah. I think it could be North. One of them. Where uh, the Feather Gippsland Super Six? What course is that? Same as last year. You and I ran Warrigal. Warrigal. The uh, so lots of drivable par fours. Exactly. I remember you vividly from last year. You were down in that area. with a lot of drivable par fours. Yeah, number six, six and seven, wasn't it? Yeah, I remember. Uh, and there was a lot of waiting as a result of it. No, no, it must have been five and six. Mm. Uh, actually, five, yeah, we're around the corner, drivable. Yep. Hang on, hang on. One, two, no, it was three and four. That's what it was. Three, the drivable corner, four up the hill, five, if you're really brave, you could have a crack at that. Six up the hill. Seven's a par five, I think. Um, and then eight must have been a par three, and then nine back to the clubhouse or something. Yeah, right here. Uh, good luck with all then. Thank you. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to episode 73. We'll... Uh, Tune in next week after, and Stuart will give us a rundown of uh, the cathedral and uh, Gippsland. Thanks, Blakey. All good. Cheers, guys.